As I picked up the slip of paper, my whole body froze. I could hear what sounded like a woman wailing in the distance, blood-curdling screams of someone or something down that parting in the trees. In terror, I began to run frantically as well. I will never forget those last moments, running through my dark subdivision, hearing his whistling and footsteps getting closer and closer. From Killer Podcasts. True tales of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. podcast. This week, we're bringing you five true tales that will startle and alarm you. So sit back, listen closely, and dive into the horror. Our first story is from Reddit user Call Roll, and will be narrated by Cesar Brazil, as if service work wasn't stressful enough. All right, so I'm a first-time poster. But I just gotta share this, cause it's the one story I share with people whenever they ask me about the craziest shit I've seen working in the field. I've been in the hotel industry for around three to four years now, mainly as an auditor. So the first hotel I worked in also happened to be the largest and oldest hotel in my hometown. And for the outside viewer or guest, it probably seemed like a paradise. It had around 120 plus rooms, a pool area, sauna, gym, all that jazz. It was kinda fancy, so to speak, only just kinda though. One day we housed a male guest, 30-ish years old, who looked like a businessman. He was well-spoken, seemed very calm and polite, and generally didn't appear to be the kind to cause trouble over nothing. It's an extended stay, around seven to eight days, and for the most part, the stay goes well. He pays his seven to eight days and doesn't really have any complaints even compliments the staff and the luxuries the hotel offers. Cool dude, right? So the stay goes by, and it's the day he's supposed to check out. It so happens to be an important holiday here in my country as well, and since the hotel was kind of like a resort, we were fully booked by a group of people that wanted to use the pool area, another wanted to throw a small party, etc. It was bound to be a busy day. I was working the front desk at the time, morning shift, when our star guest came by. I expect him to hand me the keys so I can check him out, but instead he comes over and says something along these lines. Sorry, I know I'm supposed to leave today, but I'll actually have to stay the holiday due to work. Now, he did not ask us prior if we would have any vacancies for the holiday. He simply assumed that we would. I politely tell him that unfortunately, we are fully booked and that at the moment, there is no possibility to extend his stay. The moment I explain that to him, his demeanor switches. Now he's questioning what exactly I mean, that we can't kick him out, and that he demands that we cancel another booking so we can keep him there. Obviously, there is no way I can do that, so I tell him he can use the hotel area for the day if necessary, and that if someone cancels, we'll let him know. But he's pretty worked up at this, simply saying, no. It's fine, I'll pack my stuff and leave right now. 
he storms back to his room and I'm just standing there thinking, well, never judge a book by its cover, I guess. Little did I know, that would be the understatement of the century. After about 20 minutes or so, he comes back, slams the key on the counter, says goodbye and leaves in a hurry. Now, he had already paid, so I didn't really care. I was just glad this asshole was leaving. So, I got back to my work. But after about five minutes, I heard one of the maids scream from the corridor. Oh my god! I'm startled and run over to see what's going on. And so do some other maids nearby. She's standing by the room that same guest was in, freaking out. And when I go to look inside, the goddamn mattress is on fire. One of the maids quickly goes to get the fire extinguisher and we deal with the situation. After the literal smoke settles, we also realize that this absolute maniac also took the time to smear shit all over the walls before running off. I shit you not. To this day, I don't know if that asshole ever faced any repercussions for what he did, but that day I learned a valuable lesson I still carry with me to this day. Guests can be fucking terrifying. Next, we hear a story narrated by Tara Ash about an encounter with the whistling follower. When I was 16, I was in choir at my high school that performed for a lot of different events around town. One of them was to sing at the middle school's sporting events. The middle school in my hometown is just about half a mile from my childhood home, so whenever we had events there, I walked, especially before I got my license at 17. This one night, I think it was November, we had to sing at a basketball game, and it was obviously dark when I was able to leave. Normally, I wasn't allowed to walk alone at night, but for choir, I was given permission unless I felt unsafe. But there wasn't any reason to be creeped out at first, so I started my walk. Just down from the middle school is a stretch of road with almost no streetlights that has always creeped me out when I walk through it. That night, I crossed quickly and had a fast pace going. I'm naturally pretty paranoid. About two minutes into the dark zone, I heard rapid footsteps behind me. At first, I figured it must have been a jogger, but they made no attempt to pass me and just stayed about 10 feet back from me. They began whistling a jaunty tune, which at first I thought was fun. At this point, I wasn't super scared, perhaps because of the happy whistling, but I noticed the footsteps began to speed up. There were no cars on the road, and given the lack of light, when I turned around, all I could see was a silhouette shrouded in darkness. At that realization, I quickened my pace to barely under a run. The whistling continued, getting more breathless as this person began to run after me. I looked back to see a dark figure coming at me full speed. In terror, I began to run frantically as well. I will never forget those last moments, running through my dark subdivision, hearing his whistling and footsteps getting closer and closer. This person followed me all the way up to my door. I ran inside and locked the front door, checked all the other doors, and went to my upstairs bedroom. From the window, I could still see a silhouette 
I could still hear him whistling. I slept with a knife under my pillow that night. You're listening to Disturbed. We'll be right back. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, listeners. Our third story is a nightmare we would all like to wake up from, featuring narration by the talented Gregory James. When I was a kid, I used to dream every night. But as I got older, my dreams slowly faded with time. There was one dream I continuously had for an extended period of time, but it never fully evolved past a certain point. Until one night. It would always start with me being in a cabin, a warm, cozy cabin in a huge pine forest. I remember laying in a bed on a cozy summer evening, looking at the cream-colored curtains that would always sway in the breeze of the open window. Every time, something would make me get up and go outside into the vast forest. The giant pine trees reached for the amber-colored sky as dusk was settling in. The dream would always start off like this, but when I was younger, I would wake up before much else happened. The dream would slowly progress to me walking around the cabin until one day I saw a red note on the ground. It was no larger than a regular business card you'd see in a store. As the dream progressed with time, the warm glow of the sky would get darker and darker and eventually turned into a moonlit sky with no clouds. Every time I would find an oddly placed red note on the ground right in front of a large parting in the vast trees and what looked like an endless road into nothingness. Slowly, the dreams would feel closer to nightmares. Every time I would find this note, I would begin to hear faint screams in the distance, almost like foxes yowling, just more human. The last time I remember having this dream, it started from the very beginning. The sway of the curtains in the breeze but it was pitch black outside. No more comfort from the warm amber glow of the sky. Something in me still wanted to step outside of the cabin and there it was, the red note. There was never anything on that small slip of paper. It was a deep crimson red, but this time something felt different. As I picked up the slip of paper, my whole body froze. 
I could hear what sounded like a woman wailing in the distance, blood-curdling screams of someone or something down that parting in the trees. This time, I couldn't see what was up ahead. The moonlit sky was overcast and it was darker than ever before. The last thing I remember is the croaking of a woman as if her neck had been snapped. The sound of blood gurgling in her throat it was right in front of me, though I couldn't see her. I was jolted awake from the dream when a hand came out of the darkness reaching for my face. To this day, I haven't had that same dream, and it's been close to 20 years. As I got older, I began to realize the vague parts of the cabin I remember was that of my grandmother's house. Her sister fell out of a large pine tree on the property and snapped her neck on impact before my mother was born. This next account is narrated by Kyra Cornett and comes to us from Reddit user Nectarine313. Keep an eye over your shoulder in the big city, especially late at night, and definitely when you're alone. This happened when I was 22. I'm now in my 30s. At the time, I was preparing applications for grad school so after working each evening, I would go to the local university library and stay until closing at 11 p.m. I took the subway to my neighborhood and decided to make a quick stop at the nearby 24-hour grocery store to get some things for a late-night dinner. I bought my items and was back outside waiting at the crosswalk for the light to change so I could cross the street. There were at least two other people waiting at the crosswalk as well. I lived in a major metropolis, so there were almost always other people around whatever time of night or day. Suddenly, a man comes running from seemingly out of nowhere and stands next to me, now also waiting at the crosswalk. He was middle-aged, maybe 5'7", and had a slim build. I thought that maybe he just wanted to make sure he would make the light and not miss the chance to cross. However, as we were crossing the street, I noticed that he starts to make some odd movements with his legs. I don't really know how to describe it, other than to say he was sort of tripping himself, drastically slowing down so that he went from walking in front of me to suddenly being directly behind me. To be honest, my first thought at the time was that it was racism. I have a very petite and feminine build, looked very young, and was clutching library books in my arms. But I'm also a black woman. I truly thought that he was scared to have me walk behind him. It had never even entered my mind that I might be the one in danger. I simply noted his behavior, laughed it off, and then forgot about him. On my walk home, I passed a small convenience store that I liked for its cheap, fresh produce that was also open 24 hours. I decided to make a quick stop and get a few more items for dinner. I was in the store for maybe five minutes and had truly forgotten about the man from the crosswalk. Then, when I exited the store, he was standing outside. I was so startled, it looked like he had been waiting for me. My heart started to pound in my chest, and I was going into survival mode. As soon as I passed him and continued walking home, he also started walking, following right behind me. I could hear his steps and sense him nearby. I needed to make sure that he was really following me so I could plan my next move. I could see the entrance of the subway just ahead of me, I decided I would duck into the subway station to see if he followed me in, but more importantly, to ask for help from the ticket collector. Unfortunately, when I went into the station, the ticket collector was not in the booth. 
The station was completely empty, no commuters either. I spontaneously decided to hide against a wall to the left, where I could not be seen from the street entrance. 30 seconds later, the man walked into the station so nonchalantly that he was almost skipping, heading right into the turnstile, as if it was his plan all along to take the train. However, at the last minute, he looked behind him and saw me standing there against the wall. As soon as he saw me, he stopped, turned completely around, and walked out of the station, no longer intending to go down into the subway. I knew I was undeniably in danger. I took out my phone and called my roommate, let's call him Tim, praying he was home and would pick up. He did. I explained in a panic what was happening. Are you home? Can you come get me? I asked. Tim asked me if the man was still there. I carefully peeked around the wall to look out to the street. There was the man. He was standing, smoking and laughing with some guys. He was literally making friends as he waited for me outside the station. I told Tim, yes, the man is still there. A train must have arrived downstairs in the subway because at that moment, there was suddenly a bunch of people coming through the turnstile and exiting the station. Tim and I agreed that I should leave the station in this crowd of people, stay on the phone with him, and he would meet me on the street. Essentially, we would walk toward each other. Our house was only a five minute walk away and on the same street as the station. When I left the station, I had to pass the man but he saw me in the crowd. I saw him throw down his cigarette and then from behind me say, I have to go to the men he'd been talking to. He continued to follow me. I told Tim everything since we remained on the phone. I tried to walk as quickly as I could, but there was snow and ice covering the sidewalk. I don't know why I didn't alert any of the other people who had exited the subway station and were now walking with me on the street. It was sort of this experience of feeling alone in a crowd, if you know what I mean. I knew the man was behind me, but I was too scared to look back more than once to check. It had felt like an eternity, but I finally saw Tim walking toward me on the sidewalk. We were both very young, but Tim is a tall guy, over six feet. I felt a wave of relief as he came to my side. He told me he took a knife from the kitchen to defend us, in case. Our house was right ahead. We walked quickly inside and locked the door. With the lights off, we looked out the window for the man, but he was nowhere in sight. In a story narrated by Catherine Restivo, the spirits of the dead haunt their unjust resting places, and we get up close and personal. It's important for the story that you know that I'm deaf, but I can both speak and sign. Anyway, I grew up in a town where there were two major floods. The most severe one was in 1889, which my family lived through back in the day. So, of course, there's a lot of unexplainable things that happen around me. For instance, when I was five years old, I lived in an apartment complex, and my uncle lived above us. I was in my room one night, and I couldn't sleep. So I decided to get out of bed to play with my Barbie doll. My pink Barbie car is not the mechanical kind. It's nothing special, just Barbie in the seat. That night, the Barbie car started to move around my room before leaving my bedroom and driving into the hall. I was confused, but amazed. I followed the Barbie car when suddenly the car stopped in the middle of the hall where it meets the dining room. 
a black figure on all fours with red eyes caught my attention. And I was an extremely friendly child, so I waved and introduced myself. However, the figure slowly crawled toward me and started to lunge at me before disappearing and leaving a rotten smell in the hall. In the same apartment, I started to see a spider girl. She was very young, wearing a faded and ragged white dress that was soaking wet. She would hang around my room, but more specifically, only as long as she wasn't touching the floor. I would try to bribe her with Halloween candies to come down and play with me. I mean, I had a Barbie car and a swimming pool after all. So we played, and I told her that we should take Barbie for a swim, and she completely freaked out and vanished. Later that night, the tall pink dresser which was bolted to the wall fell down and completely crushed the Barbie swimming pool. The reason I call her Spider Girl was because of her arms and legs. They went in different directions, and her skin was bluish-white. My mom and her boyfriend came in when the dresser fell down. I wasn't there for the crash, so my mom marked it down as faulty bolting. However, years later, she would tell me that as she cleaned the dresser up, she heard a heavy sigh behind her. And when she turned to look, no one was there. The spider girl became a large part of my childhood. Often during the nights, she would speak, meaning I could hear her inside my head. She's terrified of water. Even though I tried to explain that water won't hurt her, something she said that stuck in my brain, even to this day, was water killed me. I did tell my mom about the spider girl, but she didn't believe me and dismissed it as an imaginary friend. However, one day, I was in the living room watching a Disney movie while my mom was in the kitchen. Spider Girl appeared above the couch and said, ask your mom about the flood. And so I did. My mom nearly dropped the plate as I asked her about it. The conversation went like this. The flood? Yes, the Spider Girl wanted me to ask you about the flood. There were two floods but the one in 1889 was the bad one. Bad? How? The water dam broke and many people drowned. You'll learn about this in third or fourth grade. Spider Girl is scared of water. As always, she ignored this. She had to work a night shift and asked my cool uncle to babysit. My uncle and I were in the living room chilling on the couch and I asked him more about the flood. He didn't want to say anything because he was afraid of scaring me and giving me a nightmare. At that exact moment, Spider Girl appeared beside the armrest. My uncle's hair stood up, and he looked at me. Is she here? I nodded with a smile. Yes! Say hi, Spider Girl. This is my uncle. That was it. He moved out a month later. When I saw him again, I was 13. He asked me if I remembered Spider-Girl, and I confirmed. He explained, before our apartment was built, it was a place where people had come after the flood to find or bury their loved ones, and that he had seen Spider-Girl too. After tons of research, he told me that a girl went missing during the flood or possibly died in the fire at the dam. 
to this day, I still often see Spider-Girl hanging around my room and even in public, even after I moved to another state. Even some other deaf girls at my school's dorm would see her. Disturbed is a production of Killer Podcasts, a part of the Evergreen Network. For more paranormal and true crime shows, visit KillerPodcasts.com. Follow our social channels at Disturbed Podcast on Instagram or Disturbed underscore pod on Twitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and reviewing on your favorite listening platform. Share your own true horror story at DisturbedPodcast.com music by Epidemic Sound and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Our producers are Noah Fouts and Elizabeth Flood. Our audio engineer is Nathan Corson. Executive producers Bridget Coyne and Gerardo Orlando. Till next time, stay safe out there. Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts.